Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Picard. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and if your girlfriend tells you that she prefers replicated cookies, replicate the cookies. Joining me on the show, as usual, is my co-host. She's also the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast, a more or less family-friendly celebration of geekdom. It's Ella Pearson. Ella, welcome back to Discoverage. Thank you. It's great to have you here. How are you? I'm good. Lots of homework this week, so we're, <laughs> well, we're working you, hard. Well, good luck with that. While you're thinking about that, I got an idea for a, for a senior thesis for you. I mean, it's too late, but <laughs> hit me, hit me with it. if you ever do this again, I was thinking about Batman uh, just from a media studies angle, and I was thinking about how Batman and his story is like the new passion play, at least for the 20th century and looking like it's going to continue into the 21st. Like, the hagiography of his whole story, his origin, his parents dying, and everything just gets told again and again and again. There's a new Batman movie coming out, and it looks like we're probably going to see the Waynes uh, take some slugs in an alley one more time. <laughs> so it's so uh, a paper about how every every antihero and villain is Batman? No, well, possibly. That's a good idea. But just a just an examination of why that is his resonance mm-hmm. as a character and then projecting it too. like the last part would be looking forward into the future. Like, could Martha Wayne become a role like Poirot or like Olivier's Hamlet? Is there an actress who could nail Martha Wayne so hard that we got to bring her back to get shot every single time in that stupid alley? <laughs> These are the kind of things people you know. I need to think about now. It's embarrassing because I've seen, like, no Batman movie. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, yes, the parents die. And then he's uh, charismatic but sad but just. And I, like, don't. (laughs) All right, I'm giving this to somebody else. (laughs) I guess if I'd said, like, Loki's mother dying, then you'd be all in. (laughs) All right. Also joining us on the show tonight, he's a frequent guest on Discoverage and on Enterprising Individuals. He's the author of Trek novels, The Shocks of Adversity, Losing the Peace, and A Less Perfect Union. And he's a three-time winner of the Strange New Worlds writing competition. It's William Leisner. Bill, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. It's great to have you back. I don't think that we have talked uh, since Picard started airing. What have you thought about the show so far? Uh, We have not from the Skype here, I see that the last time we talked was almost exactly a year ago with Discovery. So, <laughs> right, yeah. Well, we but, talked in person, but yeah. Yes, we did, didn't we? Well, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I've been enjoying Picard a lot. Uh, you know, it's great to see Patrick Stewart back, and yeah, I, you know, there there are some things to discuss about the show, which I, you know, you have discovered. I am. Which we are going to do now, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, something that they repeated over and over before the show came out was that the audience shouldn't expect uh, TNG. They sh- this isn't like season eight of TNG. It's going to be a different vibe to the show. And I think that they have – I think that that is true. But I guess I'm having a little trouble exactly putting my finger on exactly what the differences are and like what they really meant when they when they said that. I mean, it's different. It's not episodic. It's more linear. But it seems like we're diving into the character of Picard and the assumptions that we have about that character and the assumptions that he has about himself. Right, and it's a it's a it's a much darker look at yeah the uh, Star Trek universe, and you know there there are a lot more shades of gray with the people that he's working with. He's trying to be yeah. the you know best version of the of card that he can be and he's got a lot of things working against him yeah he certainly does you said shades of gray and i and i got chills for a second but i i realized what you meant no 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 no. <laughs> i had a flashback to a lot of flashbacks but yeah uh and he deals with a lot of those things in this specific episode uh which we'll talk about uh, right now uh, it's great to have you back on the show we are here to talk about the fifth episode of the new cbs i guess it's not all that new anymore uh cbs all access star trek series star trek picard this episode is called stardust city rag 
And before we start, as always, we're setting a course for the Spoiler Zone listeners, so be warned. We're glad you've decided to join us, but if you haven't seen the episode, spoilers are incoming. The official synopsis for Stardust City Rag is, The La Serena crew begins an unpredictable and lively expedition on Free Cloud to search for Bruce Maddox when they learn that Maddox has found himself in a precarious situation. A familiar face offers her assistance. This episode is written by Kirsten Beyer, Ella's sci-fi aunt, who we've talked about on the show previously. She is a writer and producer on both Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. She's also the co-creator of Picard, and she previously co-wrote the series premiere, Remembrance. She's the author of many Voyager tie-in novels, and her latest novel, To Lose the Earth, comes out this October. This episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, who needs no introduction. Uh, the last episode was, of course, directed by him as well. And this episode continues the tradition of opening in the past in a flashback. This one takes place in 2386 and then goes to the main uh, body of the story, which takes place in 2399. There's a few interesting aspects to this episode. Uh, if anybody's curious, a rag, as in Stardust City rag, is, I'm assuming, referring to the musical composition uh, in a ragtime style, which was wildly popular in the first two decades of the 20th century. And this episode features the return of the character Bruce Maddox to the franchise and also the exit of Bruce Maddox <laughs> from the franchise. Maddox is played here by actor John Ailes and was played by Brian Brophy, Brophy in his appearance in the TNG episode The Measure of a Man. This episode also features the return and exit of the character Ichab, who was last seen in the Voyager finale Endgame. Casey King plays Ichab here, who was played previously by Manu Intiriami and Mark Bennington. Rios mentions having worked with Cork in the episode, which is, in a way, continues Cork's streak of appearing in every Trek series set in the 24th century, excepting TNG. And an ad for Mott's Barbershop can be seen on FreeCloud. So what did you guys think of Stardust City Rag? Bill? Uh, I, for the most part, liked it. Uh, I thought there were some... You know, there there were some issues that I, you know, I thought it was a little bit uh, confusing in parts. Mm. I wasn't, as they were setting up the entire uh, away mission where they were all getting up in their costumes yeah. and they kept leaping, they kept cutting back and forth to the mission, to the preparation for the mission. And I kind of got lost with the timeline there. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, that. Uh, it's that set. It's that you know heist movie uh, sequence where everybody's right. uh, getting slamming the clip into the gun, and they're all getting ready, and then at the same time we're explaining everything. I felt like it was. I don't. Know, I, I feel like it was the obvious choice, but yeah, it was a little. Conf- I'm not sure why they couldn't have just given it to us in a linear fashion. Yeah, and I didn't really get the whole you know facer and what exactly was Rios. Why, why exactly were all they <laughs> all them playing? these different roles and yeah <laughs> why why is uh space legless there if he can't actually <laughs> play act and <laughs> i was th- yeah i was thinking about that when they were putting the pimp hat on rios and they're saying uh you can't do your broody like space captain thing you know you're you're the face of this sort of organization it, it occurred to me they don't have a face. Every single person on this ship is like broody, and they're all dealing with stuff. And then, 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 if you got uh, Elnor, who uh, is just a blank slate, so they need to get somebody who's like you know the Murdoch of this crew. Mm-hmm. Ella, what about you? It, oh, sorry, Bill. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. Oh, well, just just the, and then of course they also send down Jean Luc Picard, you know, the <laughs> famous admiral who's just been on. International interplanetary television having yeah. a breakdown. So yeah, let's put him in this mix as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing nobody on Free Cloud is watching the news services, uh, but he did have a scar and an eye patch. So that I was going to say the eye patch, the accent. Yeah, right. Accent yeah. really covered it up for him. The accent. He was a money peak. <laughs> Ella, what were your impressions? Um, I really liked it. I definitely, uh, maybe, maybe is my second favorite of the episode so far. I, last week was really a standout for me, which is so so sad because didn't this exact thing happen with disco where my favorite disco episode was the week before Kirsten's episode. And I was like, Kirsten, this is a really (laughs) good episode, (laughs) but last week, (laughs) (laughs) um, no, I really liked it. I definitely, 
um, I'm happy that they've kind of settled into, it's like, we have everyone's on the ship, they're going places, because this for three episodes, I think they struggled a little bit with, like, the pacing and the backstory and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was very, I was very happy with it. I, I like um, I like the fact I, you know I like episodes like this which or like this it, this is with all the costumes and stuff partially like a fun let's play around episode but then yes. it ends in like seven of nine just murdering everybody in a nightclub so there's uh, some swings in tone but I like the fact that they think or that they want to do this with our characters right now my only problem is I get this feeling and we've talked about this on previous episodes of Discoverage where there's some scenes where it seems like they're kind of marking time and I'm not sure that they've got 10 hours of of material here and um this episode we we of course you know we dig into what 7 of 9 is doing here and there are a lot of interesting things that I kind of would have wanted to see more of instead of them having fun and going to to free cloud like it opens at Vergesen and the Seven Domes where they're harvesting like board parts, and I'm like, that I want to go back there. That sounds cool. That like, was what is, wild. Yeah. What's that mm-hmm. setting? Yeah, it just seems so dark and strange. Um, and we, of course, uh, see Icheb and body counts high for old characters in this episode. I, I'm not sure why yeah. they feel the need to bring these people back and then just wipe them out right away. Yeah, it seems like they they want to make the uh, the references. I don't know. I feel like I liked um, Icheb's kind of cameo. But I think yeah. it got, yeah, it got undercut by, like, all the other references that were also made this episode. Not really including Maddox and, you know, the, I don't know, the other episodes. But it was fun to see each up, even though it was also horrible and traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you really needed to have each up in that role because you, he, it's pretty, you know, pretty established that he has that kind of relationship with Seven of Nine. Yeah. And, you know, you couldn't just bring in any other character, you know, any other former Borg and say, you know, have have type of moment. But, uh, you know, I, I agree that, you know, some of the, you know, the fact that it was Quark's bar on Free Cloud mm-hmm. was a little, okay, why, why would you, why would you need to do that? <laughs> You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of the, a lot, they, they have done a lot of the callbacks that, you know, have, yeah, that's amusing as a Star Trek fan, but did we really, did you really need to go that way? Yeah. yeah they're drinking Tranya. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the, um, oh, I'll never get the name of it right, but it was the, the lizard guys, um, the, uh, Beta and Ari or whatever they were, who are, uh, tough guys and they're like human lie detectors. It's like, oh, that's an interesting, uh, kind of thing to do. Um, on Stardust City, we see um, Bruce Maddox uh, meet with um, th- this. Uh, I called her Miss Slinky until I figured out what her name was, and I think her name is Bajazzle. Yeah, Bajazzle. Bajazzle. Which sounds like somebody's like trying to com- combine. That's like the couple name for uh, Beyonce and Jay Z. Oh uh, my god! <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, but you Miss Slinky, just be right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Miss Slinky meets up with Bruce Maddox, who we find out is in trouble. And I guess he gets curiouser and curiouser. Uh, the Tashiar or somebody blew up his lab, and he got uh, he built it with a loan from her. And he mentions the Tashiar, and and people seem. What I want to know is, it has to work this way because we've got this whole season of TV. But if the Romulans and their entire society is decimated, why are people scared of the Tal Shiar? Or I guess I should say, why do they have so much power still? I'm, that's a good question. Nobody's really, I mean, I, you know, nobody's scared of the KGB. Of course they became the FSB. Uh, nobody's really worried about the, uh, uh, the, the Nazi, uh, secret police, the Gestapo, uh, their government dissolved. So, I'm wondering, like, how the Tal Shiar consolidated all this power. Like, why are they so feared still? I mean, well, if we're going <laughs> to, if you want to make a comparison, it's like, not to, not to be spicy, but, um. Spice it up. Uh, you know, the, uh, it's not that often that people talk about being afraid of the KKK, but really, <laughs> uh. <laughs> we should be a little bit more afraid of Or, like, let's say charlottesville down but not out no um 
and uh, you know, let's imagine that, but but then you have you know the entirety of uh, space to spread out uh, yeah. and hide. You know, you don't have to. I don't know. Yeah, it's there are. I definitely... mean, I kind of think that the Tal Shiar, you know, they they were even more secretive. The SS or the KGB, or yeah. they were supposed to be at least, you know, more sinister. And it's like, weren't they? Didn't they die with the rest of the Romulans? Well, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't they? they, they... <laughs> just when you think they're gone, that's when they get you. <laughs> uh, yeah, they uh, didn't they get blown up by the Dominion, uh, you know, in the, in the Gamma Quadrant, but that was mm-hmm. just one of their fleets that they've got uh, waiting to attack. Um, they, uh, Hydra. Yeah, Hydra. it's like Hydra. Hail right? Hydra. <laughs> yeah. Hail Hydra. Uh, we got two votes for Hydra here. I'm going to say no, no Hydra. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we see... Uh, Bejazi slip uh, Maddox and Mickey, and he goes down. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to deal with my feelings here. Either um, Melinda Snodgrass uh, was not consulted about this, but I just realized uh, authors lie. Authors lie all the time, especially when they're under NDAs. And so maybe uh, Melinda knew about this the entire time. But we do see uh, the return of Bruce Maddox here, which I think that we were kind of expecting. Uh huh. Did she say that we were not? Well, she said that she hadn't got a, a check from the guild. So oh, God. from a business perspective, uh, she didn't know. So maybe she's uh, writing the guild and her agent right now. Who knows? <laughs> we're like in calling in from horseback in the, the, uh, the American Southwest. <laughs> she's Melinda's she's in a box canyon. She's got no signal. <laughs> uh, they arrive at Free Cloud and, uh, boy, uh I um, the pop-up ads uh, to to know that pop-up ads will exist into the 25th century fills me with more dread than any other storyline here in this show. It's very like it's very Blade Runner, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, the whole look of Free Cloud was was a little yeah. a little Blade Runnery. Yeah, yeah. I believe right. it though. I kind of like that they're going. You know, I feel like um, you know, obviously we love Star Trek for its optimism, but mm. you know, it's. It's fun to see, like, the other side of the galaxy, you know, almost yeah. in this series. Like, it's a little bit darker. It's a little more dingy. It's, like, used, you know. But it's, like, you know, it's... There's, there's it's, always it's... going to be that underbelly of... Exactly. You, sure. know, you, want, you, want, you want to have some... want to come, come do this illicit drug and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, in the past, where it's, like, we're always on, like, a Starfleet vessel. So, like, clearly, you know, nothing super – you're not going to see anything super sketchy on a Starfleet vessel because, number one, like, the Enterprise isn't pulling up to Free Cloud. And, like, number two, if they did pull up to Free Cloud, I don't think they would get those pop-up. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nobody's home. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and, what you know, you always assume that that underbelly exists, but, like, I want to know how – is this in the Federation? Is it just outside the Federation? Or, like, what part of the, the bad part of the Federation? Um, there's just, you know, I mean, I'm talking to a couple of Trekkies here. There's little world-building things that I'd love to know more about, but I'm sure that we have to, we got to move on. we got to, other story things to tell. I'm glad that I finally, so, <laughs> something's wrong with my PlayStation. Uh, halfway through the episode, it started to uh, uh, glitch out the streaming, so I finally switched to computer and got my uh, my closed captioning up and running <laughs> so I can fill in a couple blanks for myself. It's the Fenris Rangers, which is a, a yeah. cool name for mm-hmm. yeah a group of Corsairs. And we get a conversation between Picard and Seven that sort of um, sort of pits their worldviews against each other and sets up, of course, what happens later. And I like, I think, the idea of whatever's happening, whatever part of space they're in, for some reason, the Federation isn't there or they're not, they're not doing enough. And so... Mm-hmm the Fenris Rangers have taken it upon themselves to um, defend the defenseless. And that's a very, um, that's a very like Star Wars-y kind of idea. But I think, but I like it. I like it here in Star Trek. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, honestly, every episode I'm like, oh, it's so like, it's so Star Wars. It's so Firefly. But I think it's just because like, those are the franchises that have like given us this more of like, I don't know, this, like the seedy underbelly idea of like space. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, like, we're used to that from Star Wars, but we're not used to it from Star Trek at all, you know? Well, that in Star Trek Three, the, the bar scene <laughs> where McCoy goes to the bar, yeah. 
after yeah. that, uh, we end up uh, while we're at Freehold. Uh, the now we're getting the plan together. Everybody is uh, getting their job and everything. And like I said, we're gonna we're gonna send Rios down, who uh, actually does uh, does pretty well. Uh, he's aided by the fact that they give him this this shot, which is uh, I was gonna say the Xanax these... hit. Yeah, they yeah. give him the Xanax hit. <laughs> That's why you did well. <laughs> which See, I'm and sure this that... is what I was saying with <laughs> last uh, season on disco saru can you imagine if you gave saru just like a quarter of a dose of xanax he'd be vibing just half a tabbies he's fine he's good to half go half a tabby do great yeah and everybody I'm has their... loving this yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um they're uh, gonna swap seven for uh or at least um act like they're swapping seven for maddox because but jay-z's going to sell him to the highest bidder so they've got to get down there and do their thing. And I think it's implied, or I think that we can imagine that everybody gets a little bit of this uh, shot because, come on, you're going to tell me the lizard guy can't sniff through Picard's like ridiculous character? <laughs> he does, he's though. Lying. <laughs> At the very, when Picard breaks, he does. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you're yeah, right, I suppose you're that's right, true. But like, right when, when Picard realizes that Seven was like lying to him, then the lizard, then uh, Mr. Vup is like... Hang on a moment. Anyways. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a second. Guns out. That's All I could smell was the wine. <laughs> uh, everybody Picard beams. Is just as good an actor as Patrick Stewart is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, you had all that holodeck practice with Data. So, um, they everybody beams into the bar, and I think it's it's rude to beam right into a bar, isn't it? This isn't Second Life. There's got to be like a. Uh, a foyer or something that you have to beam into. There's a bouncer so, and he's like, God, not again. Right. Yeah, where the coat check is. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in a, in a place, a bar like that, where, you know, the, the, there are a few people who are looking over their shoulders for somebody who's coming at them with a phaser pistol. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they Everyone beams down. They've got seven uh, in some uh, Chewbacca handcuffs, uh, of course, that she can get out of if she needs to. And they're disguised as the bag men, and they're going to they're gonna hand off seven here. And, yeah, this is where it got a little um, confusing, the logistics of what the deal was. Uh, it seems like Rios is the sort of the point man for this, uh, this uh, trade, and they sort of send him off, and he's going to monitor while they make this, uh, make this trade. In the meantime, uh, we get our subplot here where... Raffi uh, is not going along with him because she's going to beam down and she's searching out Gabriel Wang, who we discover is her son that she is estranged from because of uh, the problems that she was having. And this backstory that I think I like the way the show was handling it. Um, I, you know, I'd love to get more information, more detail, see things um, played out on screen. But I think as modern, you know, audience members, we we get a story like this and the... Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The novelty is putting it in, you know, space adventure. And so it's a very human story about this son who has just had it with his addict mom and her trying to reconnect with him. And I thought that it was um, I thought it was neat. I thought it was a really interesting addition to the episode and to her character. Well, and that scene was so they both did such a good job. It was so like charged yeah. right mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, very, very subtly done, very, you know, very small scene. That just did so much for Rocky's character and backstory. Yeah. And we, we got a little more of her backstory as well because we get this sort of confirmation that one of the things that, you know, let, got in the way of her, uh, you know, being a mother and, and uh, being in the family is that she was obsessed with the attack on Mars and the Conclave 8 and this whole conspiracy rabbit hole that she was she was going down. Uh, which we've kind of heard about before, and I think it was interesting that uh, when Gabriel's wife shows up, she's you know she's a Romulan, and she she looks like she's planning to repopulate Romulus. The, the, the <laughs> pregnant prop belly they had on her was very big. So um, yeah, congratulations on your. He's um, ready to pop. Octuplets, yeah, but uh, but I thought that was interesting, and it, it it made me think about some of the criticism I've heard on the internet. I think that people have forgotten how to watch a show week to week. Because every episode that they get, you know, they feel like it's the finished project or, or product. I've heard yeah. criticism about Rafi's character. 
the way that they have positioned her and how could she lose her you know role in Starfleet and why is she living in a trailer and these things wouldn't happen in the future but if you look at everything that we are learning about her we get this picture of a woman who had a um a, a work mentor, you know, in Picard, somebody she looked up to, and then also possibly was maybe using a little bit of the snake weed, a little bit just to get by, and <laughs> had this whole conspiracy. And you can see how she has basically like thrown her life away over 15 years, just like chasing these ghosts and becoming separated from everybody. It makes sense that she's living out by the Vasquez rocks. Like it, I think when you see the entire picture, it makes more sense, but people just immediately want to jump in and go, that doesn't make any sense. What's this? What's that? You're totally yeah, it's, right. It's- I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying. She was just you, telling me I'm right. You go, yeah. And go ahead, Ellen. <laughs> like usual, every week, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you got a good point where, you know, a lot of people to watch television week by week, being able to just, you know, binge the entire thing. And, you know, of course, we're also in this culture where you have to do the instantaneous reaction and get <laughs> online and. Welcome to this say, live This is the greatest show. thing ever, or this is the worst thing ever. And yeah. no, you're strong, and no, you're stupid. <laughs> Bill, please be civil. <laughs> well, Let me tell um, you who I'm going to vote for. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, we'll save that for the end. Um, yeah, so uh, back to the show uh, on the ship, Agnes is, uh, we see her freaking out. Traitor. And the uh, EMH appears. To uh, to address her psychiatric emergency, which I found interesting, forward-looking for future Federation uh, scientists and doctors, but also really invasive. Like the ship is monitoring your heart rate, you know, and your perspiration, respiration, and all this stuff, and it's going to immediately pop up just because you were watching a football game and they made a touchdown or something. I think there's, I hope there's a threshold they can set that to. I loved it. I was like, can you imagine if you start freaking out and then the EMH is like, hello, would you like one of uh, Rafi's special benzodiazepine uh, shots? <laughs> right. Just right away. You're like, yes, thank you. I love Let me future. do a little dance for you. Yes. <laughs> and keep it out of the holodeck because you don't want to be, want, you know, when you're fighting off the lizard people or whatever, you don't want him <laughs> interrupting things. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. The first punch you throw at uh, Skeletor, yeah, the the EMH pops up. No good. Um, back on Freehold, uh, the deal is is falling apart here uh, because everybody is uh, suspicious of each other, and we're starting to reveal things. And Seven just says, "Ah, screw it!" And grabs uh, Bajazi by the throat, and we've got a situation here. And I didn't. Uh, maybe I was writing something down in my notes, but I didn't exactly get the depth of the connection or history between. Jay-Z and Seven. Can anybody fill didn't me in? Didn't you, though? No, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm not... I don't want to uh, be the oh. Zoomer oh. here. Okay. I don't want to be the, the, you know, resident uh, millennial, but... um. <laughs> I think well, we know. Well, I'm not going to be the resident. It seems anymore. like we know. It seems like we know exactly the depth of their past relationship. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, there you go. Question answered. I mean, I was going to ask you guys. We, I, I wasn't going to say it. I was going to ask you, but you were confused, which, I mean, to me, if it was confusing enough that you had to address it, I think that it's clear. <laughs> I was probably monkeying with the uh, like the closed captioning, so <laughs> and looking up the name Bajazi in maybe books. <laughs> uh, Seven uh, says, "Well, here's what's going to happen: take Maddox and go, and I'm going to take care of this." And then we get Picard doing his thing, which, again, <laughs> if the creator of the show told me this isn't TNG, maybe this is what he's talking about. But in a couple episodes now, we've had Picard do. The Picard maneuver, uh, which is really him appealing to people's better nature, appealing to the ideals that we presume the Federation still holds and that he has always held. And we get a character, again, being like, no, <laughs> no, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. And it isn't until she uh, you know, basically says, yeah, OK, we'll do that you know, later on on the ship uh, and goes back and kills everybody um, that you know, that situation changes. But I... We keep sort of putting Picard in this position as being out of touch, um, being out of touch with how people view him, possibly being out of touch of the 
values that the people that he meets at least have. And, you know, I wonder, uh, what, what, what are your guys' reactions to that? To them, uh, portraying Picard as being out of touch. Yeah. And also just this, you know, this being not the TNG that you thought, I mean, were some of the criticisms I've also heard are the Federation would you know never be like this, and this isn't what Gene Roddenberry wanted, and you know I mean I don't know how to respond to that only that humans will always be humans. I mean I think, or aliens will be aliens. You know what I mean? Yes, I think as far as this. As far as Picard's character in this show, I feel like, to a certain extent, he is out of touch, right? Because he's been living on his, you know, vineyard. He hasn't really had to, like, clearly he's he's smart and capable and, like, keeps up with whatever. He's watching the news. Um, but uh, he he worked for Starfleet for however many years. Yeah. And then the first time he disagreed with Starfleet and they told him no, he basically, like, just, you know went back to in theory went back to france um yeah. so i mean he is he is out of touch i don't think it's a bad thing yeah um yeah i mean it's like the world is always changing and the world you know of the federation has clearly deteriorated in the past 20 30 years yeah but you know there there's always you know, as bad as things get, you always want to hold on to an idealism and, you know, things used to be better. And I think that's what <laughs> they are setting. And I think that's what they're setting up, you know, John Luke to be is he's that reminder of what the Federation could be, should be, even as dark as everything else is getting around him. They got to make it great again. Oh, God. Oh, no. Hey, no, no, that's no, why no, I no. talk politics. No. You put those words back in your mouth. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. They're positioning him as this guy who's like, everything was better before. And and I don't yet, I mean, the show's not over and it's going to go on for a while, but I haven't yet seen that he's wrong. Like, I, I want him to be wrong. I think he should be wrong. I think that people, you know, whatever your ideals are, if you hold on to ideals that are over a century, not a century, but like a half century old, um, then, you know, you, you need to update them and you need to be, you need to make way for the younger generation and for new ideas. And so I'm just kind of wondering why, what their end game is, um, why they're positioning him like this old fuddy-duddy. Not that I thought he'd come in and start, you know, disco dancing, but... Um, I don't know. We, we haven't got the payoff yet, but I'm not going to be somebody who says, well, that's what, I, I don't like it. I, like, I know they're I going mean, somewhere. I just want them to get there. I think it's it's almost, you know, like we're learning with him. It's like it's this guy who devoted his entire life to Starfleet and he believed in them. So he, you know, it like with everything he had, he believed in in Starfleet. And then to have them uh, betray the, you know, what what he thought was their ideals and betray the Romulan people and, like, betray him, in a sense, I think, yeah. was a huge wake-up call. And so now he and we are seeing, like, the other side. It's like, yeah, there's, I don't know, like, the thing with Gene Roddenberry's, like, utopia, it's like, in, in a lot of ways, like, it is a utopia, right? Because you're like, people say, oh, like, well... Rafi would never be living in like a in the future you'd never be living in a trailer alone by the rocks but it's like she was living in a trailer alone by the rocks but it wasn't like it it's not like she you know is like sleeping under a bridge like she has food and like a home and like you know it's it's much better than than so many I feel like stories now where it's like if you go down the path that she went down it's like all of a sudden like like what happened to her, you don't have your husband, your son, your family yeah, is gone, isolated. you lose your yeah. job, you lose everything. And like, and, you know, even though in some ways, I'm sure that it, you know, that it, it that kind of stuff, it ruins your life and it ruined her life. Yeah. But she's, she's alive with a, like, she's safe, you know what I mean? So I feel yeah. like it's, it's not like they're they've taken Picard and they're like, Oh, see the, you know, it's, it's, it's grungy. It's not what you thought it was. It's not Starfleet isn't really what you thought. It's just like, 
you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And the, well, yeah. just the, the fact that he would give like the revenge speech to seven and have her say, okay. And then they go back to the ship and she's like, all right, well I'm taking off. Hey, can I have some guns? Oh, no problem. Like the fact that he doesn't know that she's going to go down there and just wipe everybody out. Yeah. I think that uh, he looked, he looked a little bit like he knew, like she was like, can I have those guns? And he was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which she does, guns, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, which she does. She, uh, instead of beaming to, uh, the, whatever the, uh, Rangers have for her, she beams back down to free cloud and shoots, uh, B, I'm going to call her BJ, BJ's guards. And yeah, I, um, I don't know. Um, I don't want to, yeah, like I said, I, I, like, I don't, I don't know why Picard or if, you know, clearly we're supposed to understand that Picard, um, is either doesn't understand or, or is willing to let it happen. And he wants to believe that there's mercy in the galaxy, but, uh, but Jay-Z's not getting any, uh, for killing each and she, uh, kills Jay and blasts her way out of the bar. Uh, back in the La Serena, we're in sick bay and they're working on Maddox. Um, and he knows Dodge is dead. And he says that her mom AI was activated or activated her when she was in danger. So we get um, a confirmation that the mom was an AI, never existed, I guess. And uh, Maddox tells Picard that Soji is on the artifact. So we're, we're getting our marching orders here. We got to head there next week. And he said he says he sent um, the twins to find out the truth of the Federation involvement uh, in the attack. And um, and the resulting ban. And I'm wondering, how were they supposed to get that information? Did they know that they were getting it? Was he able to monitor them um, through something that he had planted or uh, through the mom AI? Like, were they supposed to unconsciously uncover it or come to a realization, realization on their own? Excellent questions. Thank you. I think he was yeah. monitoring them somehow, right, Bill? I well, I think he had to have been in you know directly or indirectly until he got his lab and all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, 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 we do have this piece of the puzzle now that he was behind sending the two to where they are now or where they ended up. Yeah. So that's one piece of the puzzle. Of, you know why are why why was this one going to the Daystrom Institute and why is this one off on the artifact to do something for Bruce Maddox? Okay. But what is that thing? Okay. That's what we're going to find out for the next half of the season. And as far as it being secret, I mean, the Tal Shiar seems to be pretty close. They seem to know his every move pretty much at this point because they were right on top of everything. And as he's telling Picard all this, uh, we cut like 17 times to Agnes, so we get it. And the second that he tells uh, Picard all that information, I'm like, bye-bye, Maddox. That's the end of Maddox. And sure enough... Really? I was surprised. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I mean, she Agnes uh, turns the oxygen off or whatever the uh, future version of that is, and that's the end of Maddox. Also, I can't believe the EMH doesn't have, like, a backdoor protocol to punch her in the face. That was crazy that she could deactivate him. Have the that, Hippocratic that Oath was, extend to not, yeah, not being able to shut him up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that was curious to me as well. You know, number one, why wasn't the HM there the whole time instead of Agnes acting like she was the nurse running sick bay? Yeah. And... You know, how how do you just tell the EMH while somebody's dying on the table? Yeah, just bugger off. Right. <laughs> I mean, I kind, of, like, I kind of believe it from Rios that he would be like, oh, I want complete control over them. Like, I don't want to, re- you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And that, that, that's, that's probably the best talk, you know, uh, way to, to brush it off is just that it's... Uh, bargain rate that's been reprogrammed by Rios but right yeah well also like I feel like it was kind of her deactivating him earlier when he was like you are having <laughs> like this is an emergency you need it your heart rate's up whatever and she was just like deactivate EMH and he went away yeah. that too I was surprised so I feel like you know they were laying the groundwork there for her to be able to just tell him to go away right then but 
Have we seen that he can manifest in multiple locations or uh, identities? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, so you mean to to to? You there? Are you asking if he's if he's manifested two different uh, holograms at once? Yeah, like if he could be engineering and, and tactical or, or medical and tactical at the same time. Because if Raffi's back on the ship, she's clearly upset. Why doesn't did he appear to her? But like, is is she having a uh, psychiatric emergency actually, or is she like? Uh, bummed, you know. <laughs> yeah. What? What? What triggers it? Yeah. Going back to the or football that her thing, my team loses. Right there. It... Yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, she. Uh, what Agnes says that stood out for me is that she says that she wishes wishes that she didn't know what she knows uh, and well, what presumably uh, Commodore showed her. And I'm wondering what that is. I'm presuming that it is uh, whatever the um, the apocalypse or, or whatever the Romulans are worried about is, but. Um, at this halfway point in the season, any guesses as to what the destroyer destroys? Uh, may, uh, s- like non, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not anyone who's not a synth. Oh, okay. An elimination of organic life. Yeah. Maybe. We, well, that's, that happened to discovery, didn't it? Or if we saw a vision of that. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Who? Um. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think they're going to steal all the ice cream from the universe. <laughs> it's hard to know. They're clearly uh, keeping it secret um, because they don't want to tip their hand. And speaking of tipping their hand, there are no evil Wonder Twins uh, seen this week. Uh, we kept the uh, the brother and sister Romulans out of this one. Kind of a. I think we that break. Them. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> they definitely felt like they, uh, or didn't feel like they needed that. What you guys think about the return of Seven of Nine? Uh, I was happy to see her. I'm afraid that we're not going to see her again, at least in this season. I mean, I was, I thought it was really great to see her again. I mean, first of all, Jerry Ryan kicks ass. Yeah. God, she's a queen. And I mean, she. What do I want to say? I mean, I think that her story of what has happened over the past 20 years, you know, of all of the characters of 24th Street Trek after Picard, she would be the person who I would want to see. Yeah. The, the, the gaps filled in. Yeah, and her her struggle too. You know, her line near the end of the episode where she asks Picard about, you know, how if he felt like he got his humanity back and how he has to fight for it every day. Like the, it would be a hundred times worse for her. And that, yeah, I think that journey would be uh, very interesting to see. And it was interesting to me, of course, because I had written a Picard and Seven of Nine scene in Losing the Peace. Right after the uh, Destiny trilogy, so mm-hmm. it was it was nice to see that finally in canon the two of them meeting. Yeah. I liked to Rafi and Rios talking about them, sort of uh, on the side about like, oh, that's right, he was a Borg too. They're both Borg. <laughs> that was funny. We still don't really know the state of the Borg in at this point, no. you know, in the story. No, I was convinced. Uh, sorry, I was I was just like I was convinced that Seven was gonna die. I was like, "This is it." Oh, well, and during that scene, during yeah. that scene, I was like, "Oh, they come in no threes. Way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Thank God I'm, I'm, I'm really curious now because you know we, we've seen the, the cube, we've seen the artifact, and we've seen you know it's been however many days since anybody's been assimilated. The Borg are apparently. <laughs> Not a ever-present threat, but there's still people who are trying to make buck off of former Borg who have dormant plants. Yeah, and it's like, how big of a business can is that, and why are there so many? Why why would there be so many deactivated Borg? 
because of what they're doing on the artifact, right? Are they are they bringing other Borg into the artifact? Well, I they've imagine got, they probably I are because many, he was there. Yeah, I don't know how many Borg are just like in refrigerators on the cube, but like those scenes, what, was it last week or the week before where they were like, <laughs> it, <laughs> do you know it's, what I'm talking about? Yeah, it, no, yeah. It's, it's it's like a gigantic advent calendar, right? And they're just popping yeah. open all the doors <laughs> and, and getting the chocolate out. Thousands and thousands of doors. Yeah, I felt because like they the... also said, I thought that, at least to me, I thought they implied that, like, they were having trouble, uh, like, kind of disconnecting the Romulans from the collective that they found, the Romulan Borg, whatever. But that, like, I assumed that the other races they were finding, that they were able to kind of, you know, right, ease right. back into a semi-normal life. Yeah. I kind of just, that was completely isolated to the artifact but we now know that, you know, the JJ in uh, FreeCloud is making a bunch of, you know, a lot of buck on used board parts. So where, where are they? Are they you know, are they, are they connected? Or is there something larger? It goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way to the top. Oh, boy. <laughs> the top here is behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I mean, we could just sit and write the next five episodes if you guys want, but I think we're going to have to wait for the story <laughs> to come out uh, on a succession of Thursdays. Uh, anything else anybody uh, wanted to say about the episode we haven't said yet? I wonder why they cast Bruce Maddox with the actor that they did. Yeah. Because he didn't really look a lot. I mean, he didn't really look a lot like the character from... Measure of a man. Yeah. He didn't really act like him. Not that, you know, of course, there's 30 years in between. Yeah. But, you know, I saw him and I saw more of a Rain Wilson's Harry Mud than I did <laughs> Bruce Maddox. Sure. <laughs> he probably read for it. <laughs> he he uh, may have read for it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, you know, they, they've been talking about we have to find Bruce, we have to find Bruce. And they find Bruce and they they kill him. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Agnes does. Right, right. I think I think he, he appeared in the flesh to to have that beat specifically. Um, yeah. It would be a little bit of a letdown if they just got to Free Cloud and found out that he was already dead or, or something like that or just fully disappeared. But it feels almost like that since he spends so little time uh, on screen in the episode. Uh, who knows? You know, he could appear in, in video logs or um, flashbacks or something like that. I'd hate to lose the character development. He was yeah. such an interesting character in that original episode, The Measure of Man, mm-hmm. and just seeing like 30 years of him going from a guy who's like, yep, chop him up. We got to mass produce this data to yeah. a guy who more fully understands the, the implications of that and then himself like creates to – young women, two daughters, sort of, who he sort of shares parentage with, with Data. And, uh, yeah, I, I would hope we get some some version of that arc, and he's not just gone forever. Um, so we think uh, we think Agnes is going to kill Soji, right? She's going to try? She'll try. Then she'll get her head cut off by El- yeah. Elmar. Uh, oh, God. going to try to kill her or going to try to out of her brain that she needs to get out of her brain. <laughs> uh, yeah, she won't kill her. She'll just take her brain. Well, um, I, I can't wait taking to find a, out. Taking a character's brain. Wow, that's a good idea. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, well, uh, we'll find out what happens uh, in a future week, but that's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EISTPOD for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both Enterprising Individuals and Discoverage are released. You can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag 
hashtag discoverage or email us at eistpod at gmail.com. And while you're on the internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice and subscribe to our show feed at Enterprising Individuals and give us a rating and a review because it really helps us out. If you want to help the show grow, you can stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash eistpod. And as always, if you like the show, tell a friend. And one other thing I mentioned on a previous show, uh, I'm not sure which one it was, but I mentioned that I was trying to assemble a group to start a campaign for the Star Trek Adventures RPG. Uh, the company Modiphius has a great new Star Trek game. Uh, I'm not getting paid to say this, uh, but if Modiphius wants to write me a check, I will take it. Uh, I'm just trying to put a group together for an introductory adventure to play online. So if any listeners out there think that's something they'd like to try, shoot me an email at eistpod at gmail.com. Uh, I've already got listener Josh on board. So write in if you're interested in joining this particular crew. Discovery will return on fe- February 27th for the sixth episode of Star Trek Picard entitled The Impossible Box. That episode will be directed by Maya Vervilo, who is to directed previously on Discovery. We'll be going live once again at 7 p.m. Central, so join us then. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at EISTpod to get notified when we're live and broadcasting. And in the meantime, please check out our main show, Enterprising Individuals, at enterprisingindividuals.com. Every Wednesday on the show, I'm joined by a special guest to discuss in excruciating detail a selected episode from a Star Trek series. We also have news from the Trek Sphere and interviews with special guests. And our latest episode dropped yesterday on the episode I'm joined by writer Kelly Fitzpatrick to talk about the Voyager two-part episode Scorpion, which features the first appearance of Seven of Nine. You can check that out at enterprisingindividuals.com. Ella, thanks as always for joining me to talk about this episode of Picard. Remind people where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at Generations Geek on Twitter and Instagram, uh, generationsgeek.com. And of course, Generations Geek, wherever you listen to podcasts. Generations Geek, Generations Geek, Generations Geek. All right. Mm-hmm, everywhere. And Bill, it's always great to have you on the show. Where can people find you online? Thank you very much. Uh, best place to find me, if you wanted to find me, is on Twitter. My handle is at B Leisner. Come no. look at all of the. I'm sorry? Oh, sorry. You cut out a little bit. Uh, B Leisner. So if you want to come and see my, my snap judgments about things that I can't be <laughs> patient about, I to find them. <laughs> People check that out. Uh, and that is it for us. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're signing off. This is Aaron for Ella and Bill saying live long and prosper. <laughs>